0: Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can hear what you have for us in your word. Father, send now your Holy Spirit to open our ears so that we might hear your words in the preaching of your word. Father, also send your Holy Spirit upon Rich as he preaches those words. Give him your words for us to hear. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
1: Do you love me? Could there be a more point-blank question than that one? Do you love me? Could any other question capture your attention immediately like that one? Do you love me? This question, do you love me, like none other, is elementary to every human relationship. It's the most vulnerable one that you could ever ask somebody. The question, do you love me, just lays everything out on the line. If you can imagine asking someone else, the question, do you love me, their answer would determine the entire trajectory of that relationship, your relationship with them for years to come. The answer to this simple question will determine if trust can be had between these two people or not. The answer to this question will determine if a warm, uh, warm intimacy will be fostered or a coldness and a callousness will be established and experienced. See, if their answer is, no, I I do not love you, then a sudden death happens. The game is over. You've been played. But if their answer is, yes, of course I love you, then the hand of trust has been extended. Um, Any amount of discord that you might have faced before that point seems to just be kind of crumpled up in that moment and thrown away into the trash. And restoration and restitution can actually bloom and blossom because of their positive answer. Who of us doesn't long to know uh, the love of a perfect lover? Who of us wouldn't even give away the best of the world's goods to know that kind of love, to know our own shortcomings well and full, and yet to know more deeply the love and the undying loyalty of a love that never dies? Isn't this what we all long for? A love that would stand the test of time? A love that actually fights for our good? A love that uh, would even lay down his own life for our sake? See, Jesus, the lover of our souls, whom we just were singing about, asked this very same question to a broken man in the midst of the deepest and darkest turmoil of his entire life Do you love me? In John 21, We saw a savior who pursued a single lost sheep in order to uh, not only restore him, but also to employ him in the work of pastoral ministry. A kind of pastoral ministry, though, that would actually end up walking with a limp. So this morning, I want to draw our attention to three key aspects surrounding this passage in John 21. First, we're going to see Peter's story, but then also Peter's restoration that we see here in this text— And then finally, Peter's call to pastoral ministry. So first of all, Peter's story. This comes to us in verses 15 through 17 from John 21. Now, kind of transitioning a little bit, think of the gift of friendship. Friendship. See, the gift of friendship is a very profound thing. True friendship cannot be bought. It is freely given. Now, some friendships are more cordial and lighthearted, Others are very deep and intimate, and they know you really well. The most endearing ones that stand the test of time are the ones, of course, that will last a lifetime. There are, of course, fewer and further in between, uh, but they're the ones who are closer to you than even a brother or a sister might be. There is usually a long history of experiencing both the joys of life but also the sorrows together. You've laughed together. You've wept together. You've rejoiced together. You've maybe even grieved together. These are the kind of friends that would have your back through thick and through thin. They would battle for you. They love you more than their own self, but they're probably also not afraid to challenge you when you need it. That kind of friend. And sure, they might have even let you down before, uh, but your good and your welfare are still at the forefront of their mind. It's still their aim. Proverbs 17, verse 17, describes a friend like this as one who loves at all times, one who sticks closer than a brother even. So I want to ask us, can you yourself uh, think of a friend in your own life who fits that description? One who's maybe closer than a brother or a sister to you? One who, as soon as you might hear their voice, just brightens your day. As soon as you see them, your entire day might just shift around from being one of gloom into one of just delight and happiness. Now thinking back over the years, several of my own close friends just immediately come to mind uh, throughout the last uh, 10 years in particular, especially uh, since college. And although several friends of mine come to mind, uh, one of them in particular uh, has really stood with me through those years. Uh, Brian Rick, who came a couple weeks ago, was able to preach here for the ordination service. He's just He's been one of those friends to me, you know. And over the years, we've seen each other on both our best days, but also like the very worst of our worst days. <laughs> and somehow we're still friends. Over the years, um, you know, again, we've seen each other in those positions, as it were. But looking back, though, uh, for seven years before I moved up here to Charlottesville, I spent seven years uh, serving with Brian in the ministry between two different PCA churches. And we faced all the highs and lows of ministry. We saw the gospel advancing in the hearts of men, we saw lives being transformed by the gospel of Christ. Yet we also saw, unfortunately, the sin and disparagement that discord will bring um, as sin tangles up relationships and and uh, unravels, as it were, uh, Christian unity even. Now, my friend that I'm describing is the kind of person that you can have those serious, in-depth conversations with one moment, but then on a dime, it all just kind of turns and you start cracking up because somebody made a stupid joke that goes back for years and you might have just been... Um, you're know, able to recall something, one of their mannerisms might pop up and you're like, oh, this is hilarious. So you go from something serious to something really funny very quickly. I'm pretty convinced that Jesus and Peter's relationship, their friendship, was very much like that. It was very much one of those friendships where they knew each other extremely well. Peter must have known Jesus' sense of humor and what it was to know him deeply as a friend I mean, just imagine yourself walking in Peter's uh, shoes, or sandals, rather. (laughs) See, Peter spent three and a half years after being called by Christ to follow him, to follow him. Here, Peter had been called, even as a fisherman, to follow Christ, to know him, to walk with him. Peter had seen Christ at his baptism. He had seen the glory of God on display as God the Father spoke over Christ, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Peter saw Jesus heal the sick, give sight to the blind, uh, give hearing back to the deaf, raise those who were crippled, even raise the dead back to life. (laughs) Peter had seen it all. He even saw uh, the transfiguration where Christ's glory was fully on display. Even where Moses and Elijah appeared out of nowhere, and both the law and the prophets testified to the fact that this truly was God. His friend was God. Peter followed hard after Jesus, so much so that he even said, I would lay down my life at a heartbeat, in a heartbeat rather, just to follow you, just to show you my love. See, what loyalty, what zeal, what love. But we all know the rest of the story, right? As the Son of God was delivered into the hands of wicked men, as we read through the Gospel of John, we see that Peter abandoned his Lord, his friend. In John 18, we see that Peter, in his loyalty, followed Christ, at least, to uh, the courtyard where Jesus was being tried illegally in the dead of night. But he denied his association there in that same courtyard By denying him three times. See, his loyalty in that moment that he had for Christ was shattered like a clay pot hitting the ground. His zeal became deflated like a balloon just letting out air. And his love became mixed and intertwined with fear unspeakable. Peter had not only abandoned Christ, but he had actually distanced himself from Christ in the deepest and darkest hour of Christ's suffering. And Jesus, just as he had prophesied, Jesus, the shepherd, as he was struck, uh, the sheep were then scattered. But thankfully, the gospel account of John doesn't leave a lot of tension in regard to Peter's story. It doesn't let us sit on that for too long. It tells us how this is all resolved. It doesn't leave room for prolonged tension, in other words. See, Christ was raised from the dead just as he had promised that he would. The perfect and the blameless one suffered for the sins of his people, bringing eternal life to all those who would have faith in him. But I find it interesting that in the Gospel of John, there's this emphasis on the risen Christ immediately pursuing each of the disciples in different ways. He goes to them as a group, as they're meeting together as a group. As Pastor Tom had preached a few weeks ago, he went to Thomas in the midst of his doubts and actually tended to Thomas' intellect. And here in John 21, Jesus goes right to Peter in the midst of the awkward tension that they were even facing and goes right for not the head, but the heart of Peter. See, as I was talking about the gift of friendship earlier, I imagine that many of us have uh, even recalled uh, those whom we used to call friends. See, for many of us, we carry relational baggage Sins that have been done against us that have caused us grief. Perhaps you can recall doing wrong to a friend of your own and feeling that kind of awkward tension as you then sought restitution. I imagine Peter felt very much in this same kind of position. Christ had come to him not once, not twice, but thrice at this point. And he knew that Jesus knows all things. He knew that Jesus knew what had happened, his denial Peter was very much aware of his own failure. And so their conversation in John 21 was kind of that moment of, hey, you know that I know that you know, right, (laughs) kind of thing. (laughs) The awkward, yeah, I think we both know what we're talking about, but let's not talk about it directly. See, Peter felt the weight of sinning against his own friend. And I imagine that he felt that he was almost too far gone for Jesus. The thing is, Christian, have you, just to personalize this, have you ever felt yourself in Peter's position like you yourself might have been too far gone for Jesus? As though something that you had done or said could actually separate you from what God uh, from who God is and from his love toward you? The gospel tells us this about Christ. See, Christ is not only the restorer of broken souls like we've been singing about. He's not only the one who repositions us in a right relationship, a right standing before God, who brings us to the table and brings us to the throne of grace. He's also one who heals us. He knows our sorrows and he speaks directly to them. See, Jesus is the one who, as it were, is standing before us through the gospel message saying, child, I love you, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I love you and I've never stopped loving you. Come back to me. So there's a little bit of Peter's story, but I want to move us now into Peter's restoration. What actually happens here in this text of John 21, 15 through 19? Well, here again in these words, of verses 15 through 17, we see that dialogue. You know, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. But shifting gears a little bit, it's interesting that here Jesus is actually reinstalling Peter as a disciple of his, but also as a leader of the church. Thinking of leaders, uh, especially those whom I have the utmost respect for, they're usually the ones who end up walking with a limp throughout life. They're usually the ones who have such great weaknesses, but they know how to leverage them to the advantage of the people whom they serve. See, they continue to serve others selflessly, even when, it gives, even when it gives them pain to lean over and help one who's below them, as it were. See, much of the Christian life is learning to be compelled by the love of Christ and to love other people and to actually set aside at times your own comfort and your own stability for the sake of other people. That's what genuine leadership looks like. But see, before Jesus chose to call Peter back into the role of a leader, he first had to restore him to a right relationship, a good fellowship with him. See, here in this passage, Jesus could have totally confronted Peter. He could have been like, hey, where were you that night? <laughs> Why did you say those things that you did? Why did you disassociate yourself from me? Where were you, my friend? But notice that his words in verses 15 through 17 look a lot more like restoration and not words of condemnation. See, Jesus knew that Peter was wounded, that he was hurting, that he was conflicted inside. He had sinned against Jesus in denying him and Peter could no longer wear that badge of honor, the name Peter, meaning rock, the rock, Petras. He could no longer wear that on his sleeve, as it were. He felt ashamed of it. And so Jesus addressed him exactly where he needed it. Christ's words to Simon, however, also are very telling to how he treats each one of us as our shepherd. So let's look again at how Christ tended to this broken man in the midst of turmoil. Let's read again John 21, verses 15 through 17. It says this, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, uh, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep. And then he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? At this point, Peter was grieved. Because he had said to him, "The third time, do you love me?" And he said to him, "Lord, and catch this, you know everything. You know that I love you." Jesus said to him, "Feed my sheep." Now as simple as this dialogue sounds, did you catch what was going on in the subtext, as it were? See, Peter's soul had been in this deep anguish, this unsettled place where he was sitting. He felt detached from Christ. He felt that disjointed fellowship, though he didn't dare confess it out loud. See, he had denied his relationship with Christ three times before the crucifixion, and yet here, right after breaking bread together, right after enjoying breakfast together, uh, Jesus decided to actually feed Peter spiritually. How did he do that? Well, by reinstating their relationship See, Peter had disowned the very name that Jesus had given to him. So Jesus called him by his birth name, Simon, the son of John. See, Jesus essentially hit that reset button, as it were, and kind of recalled him, as it were, as a disciple of his, to follow him again and to return back to that sweet friendship which they were originally establishing. See, where Peter had been left without purpose or a vocation, calling, or meaning in life, Jesus then actually gave him the privilege of shepherding and feeding his flock again with these words, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Now, yesterday morning, I woke up feeling very hungry, speaking of feeding, right? (laughs) woke up feeling very hungry, woke up at six o'clock in the morning, which is far too early on a Saturday morning to be waking up, Don't know why exactly, I just did. Anyway, so I got up, uh, grabbed a couple glasses of water, and I'm thinking, yeah, again, it's way too early. It's 6 a.m., I'm going back to bed. (laughs) So I did that and ended up sleeping in until about 9 a.m., which was amazing. Felt very well rested, much better, but then the stomach starts growling, right? It's 9 a.m. at that point, and I hadn't eaten anything. So I drink a few more glasses of water, shower up, and then head over to the fridge, And uh, looking through there, I'm like, okay, there's uh, pesto, and there's some leftover dinner from last night, and there's plain old Greek yogurt, which tastes nasty by itself, and more condiments, and yeah, (laughs) I don't feel like making anything right now. (laughs) That's the bachelor life for you, by the way, in a nutshell. But anyways, basically within a, a short amount of time, I thankfully found some cream cheese, and you know, toast. So I was able to make some toast and coffee and kind of get a little nourished up. And then within thirty minutes, I realized I need something much better than toast and coffee to actually curb this hunger, right? I need something of more substance. So I actually end up going grocery shopping. Um, anyways, <laughs> so many times we end up treating our spiritual lives the same way. We don't nourish ourselves the way that we need to be nourished. See, we might come to church on a Sunday morning and attend the worship service. Notice the key word, attend. (laughs) You know, check that off our list. Then we might even, uh, you know, talk to our friends and family afterwards who are here and be refreshed by that, you know, check that off. We might even, you know, as we hear the gospel preached, be really fed by that and write down notes even and really tend to that. But then we kind of quickly forget it and we just kind of check that off our list as well. This isn't a guilt trip by any means. It's just proving that we need something more than a checklist of to-do's. See, we might feel our hunger curbed by these really good things that God has given to us, the preaching of the word and fellowship and all these amazing things. But if we're honest with ourselves, we need something that lasts longer than the day or than the moment. See, we long for a kind of spiritual drink, a kind of spiritual food that will actually curb our appetite, a spiritual drink, a spiritual food that will quench our thirst and our hunger. Did you notice that in John 21, Jesus, spiritually speaking, fed Peter exactly what he needed? See, Peter didn't need a rebuke in that moment, though Jesus you know, had definitely done that before to Peter, and Peter definitely might have deserved one, as he did in the past. But he proved, Jesus proved to be Peter's shepherd of his soul in this time. It reminds me, honestly, of even our call to worship this morning. See, Jesus proved in that moment to Peter to be the very shepherd who would provide him all that Peter wanted. Thinking back to our call to worship of Psalm 23, it says this, that the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. You know, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside waters of rest. He restores my soul. So often we can go through the Christian life tending to these good things that I was mentioning that are even meant to spur us on in our faith, but actually miss the object of our faith in checking these things off. We can miss Christ himself. So Christian, do you know how deep and how great Jesus' love is for you? See, perhaps like Peter, you have felt distant from Christ. Perhaps you feel like something that you've done has distanced you for good even, like I mentioned earlier. But do you know that he still invites you to come to him even in the midst of your impoverishment, even in the midst of your dryness, as it were? Do you know that you can come to the waters and drink freely of Christ? Do you know that you can buy from Christ without money? Do you know that you can delight yourself in the Lord and have fellowship with him? See, Revelation 3, here's an invitation for us all even this morning, but in Revelation 3, we see Jesus extending this invitation to his people saying that he stands at the door and he knocks, waiting to have that kind of table fellowship with us, desiring to have fellowship with you. And all that he requires of you, Christian, is that you feel your need of him, and that you confess honestly, openly before him, of your need of him. This moment of, Lord, I believe, I believe you, but help my unbelief. See, the Lord loves to give us Not a spirit of fear, like what Peter was facing in John 21, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Speaking of Peter's restoration, this then brings us to our third and our final point for this morning. So we've looked at Peter's story and his restoration. Now we're going to kind of check out this aspect of John 21. And that's this. It's Peter's call to shepherd in humility. Peter's call to shepherd in humility. I actually want to read this again. It starts in verse 18. We're going to see this in verse 18 through 19 of Peter's call. Jesus says this as he continues in his conversation with Peter. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Now, after he had said this to him, then he said, follow me. See, we as Christians are called to dine with Christ. We're called to have that table fellowship with him. And one of the curious mysteries of the faith is that Christ loves to use broken people <laughs> to feed his church. Very broken people at that. He calls, as it says in Ephesians 4, 11 and following, uh, shepherds and teachers to be equipping the saints and maturing them in their faith. But I'm sure uh, all of us as elders and pastors here would be so quick to say, hey, we're broken ourselves. We are just as much in need of Christ. And so, as we seek to equip and to love all of you well, we also need Him first and foremost. Our desire as, as leaders, even here in this church, is to love you all well and ultimately, hopefully, to pour out our lives for your welfare and your good. So, church, do you know in that regard then that you are so dearly loved by Christ? He loves you so much, far more than you could ever imagine. See, sometimes the sufferings that we face in this broken world uh, will cause us to doubt that he truly cares for us. Like Peter, a leader in the church, he had to learn how to first be led. People who often are very compassionate usually have been given much compassion themselves. People who know how to love well usually have been shown a lot of love themselves. People who are merciful, usually have also been shown much mercy themselves. See, we don't always know the intricacies of why God takes us through suffering. We can maybe in hindsight see what he's taught us and how he's taught us how to better love and show compassion and sympathy toward other people. But ultimately, we know this from Scripture, that he's using our moments of weakness to conform us into the image of Christ, to make us look more like Christ in front of other people as we seek to then serve and love them in Christ's name. So as he sanctifies us by his spirit, he actually ends up proving his steadfast loyalty to us by never giving up on us. Christian, in God's eyes, you are never a lost cause. Rather, he's taking you, even in your suffering, from one degree of glory to another. So if you find yourself in the midst of suffering in this moment, I would actually encourage you to hold fast to, above all else, the love of Christ. In the gospel. See, the love of Christ is what compels us to live faithfully as stewards of his varied grace. Resting in the love of Christ is actually what will nourish our souls and replenish us. As we find contentment in the fellowship of Christ, we will be met with a peace and a joy that are unspeakable. Now, we don't always, again, comprehend the hand of providence, but we know our Father himself, and we know that he is good and gracious to us. So as we conclude, Jesus asks us the same question this morning. Do you love me? Do you love me? See, believing that he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, believing that he was buried and raised in accordance with the scriptures, we've been given eternal life. But the question is still at hand. Do we love the lover of our souls? Do we trust him? Do we know him? Do we love him? The answer to this question will determine the trajectory of our fellowship with him. And with that in mind, let's come before him in prayer. Father, we thank you that we can know your love. We thank you, Father, that you have given us every good and perfect gift that comes down from above. Then you, we can have sweet fellowship we can know Christ and know him more fully day by day as our faith is strengthened. Lord, we're thankful for this time of worship where we've had the opportunity to open your word, to hear from you, to hear the very words of Christ, to be washed by these words, to be cleansed, O oh Lord. God, we ask that you would strengthen our faith, that you would give us a deep and undying love toward you. And as simple as that sounds, as... Uh, yeah, as simple-minded as as it may sound, just to say that we need to love you. We ask, God, that that would be real, that that would be true in our lives, that we would know the, the depth of your love and how great your love is for us in the gospel. God, we're thankful for this time. And so we ask that you
0: would be pleased and honored as we continue our time of worship. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.